Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with authors, artists, activists, theologians, philosophers, political pundits, scholars, and a host of others about their work and the lens through which they experience life. I engage my guests in a free-flowing conversation that's entertaining, unexpected, occasionally bizarre, and hopefully enlightening above all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Give and Take. My guest is Marilee Albert. Her new novel is The Tutor. In it, recent Yale grad Alice wants to be close to her boyfriend in Paris with enough space to sow a few oats. Rome fits, so off she goes. Her other goals to make art and find a muse. Instead, she finds herself amused to various men, including a TV host, dwarf, lonely banker, alcoholic playboy, aging prince, and the disillusioned Oscar-winning filmmaker Frank Colucci. The middle-aged Frank is in Rome to film the last of his famed movie series, but longs to get back to making art films. Alice, still wandering Rome, lost and confused, tumbles into Frank's life, and he hires her as his philosophy tutor. Although at opposite poles of life with little in common, the bright but broke Alice is just getting started and has few prospects. And the married with kids Oscar winner Frank, bored and disillusioned, the two form a bond. Will this be an older, powerful man using his position to seduce a confused young woman or something else entirely? Will Alice ever find her way? It's a great novel and we had a great discussion about it. I give you Marilee Albert. Marilee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's You've written a novel called The Tutor, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful book about a Yale grad, Alice, who is a philosophy major, one of the most practical things you can ever be. Yeah, right? highly practical. She, yeah, and she spends her time post-college in Italy and kind of like in self-exploration and exploring mm-hmm. s- several sort of trysts, love affairs with all these interesting guys. I'm interested, like, how much of this, like, I've heard you say, I think, in a couple interviews, that, that, that some this is some of your own story, right? Yes. It, it's, it's, it's not autobiographical, totally, but but you're in Come the on. character. Yes. So where, so where does sort of Marilee begin and Alice end or vice versa? Like, how, how, like, how did you, how do you see yourself in this character? A lot of the, a lot of the scenarios, the, the plot is driven from what actually happened, but the character is, you know, that's more of the fiction because who can, re- I mean, I, the character is based on someone I was quite a few years ago. So I was channeling my youth, but I probably channeled every one of our youth, women's youth. It was sort of my me too exploration of myself. So it's hard to say where, where I end and Alice begins, just like with any writing that I do, you know, you bring yourself to it. But a lot of the scenarios did happen in, in, somewhat. Yeah. And one of the things like I think is interesting that you mm-hmm. capture that, that uh, I, there was a memoir I had on the podcast last year, Claire Detter, and she wrote a book. It was a memoir and talking about like sexual agency for women. And Mm -hmm. even when things are consensual, yes, things can be weird in a way that the the experience is lived out through the sort of male gaze, lens, expectation, Mm -hmm. experience. So that even though, you know, it, it, it might not be a me too situation, but and it's consensual. And yet the woman still doesn't feel a sense of agency. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you should bring that up because what I was looking at it almost from the opposite lens, which is, you know, the whole Me Too movement picked up in the last few years. And I thought, oh, what, what was my Me Too 
experience. So I looked at my relationship. I had a relationship with a famous director, just like the character in the book does. And I was his tutor. How famous? One to ten. Oscar. Wow. Yeah, very famous. As famous as they come. And he has movies in the top ten. Like if there's a list of top ten movies, he has at least one or two in there. So yeah, big time. Spielberg? No, not Jewish. <laughs> Think where uh, I was. I was in Italy. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Gosh, Scorsese. It's just an Italian filmmaker, probably. Uh huh. I'm not okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make any names, but I'll, I'll give you a hint at the end of the podcast. Of okay. An easy hint, and you'll get it immediately. Um, there's a movie where the character is a Yale philosophy grad. I'm pretty sure they got that from me. So anyway. Wow. Yeah, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> I'm not trying to hide the man. If you read my, when you read my book, most people kind of figure out who it is. You didn't get it, huh? I, I wasn't really thinking hard about it. Yeah. Like, I, 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 mean, it I wasn't... doesn't matter, you know? Right. But I, I'm not trying to hide it. But anyway, um, I'll tell you later. But what happened was a lot of my friends were like, oh my gosh, I was me too. Marilyn, you were me too. We were all me too. Me too. Me too. So I thought, well, wait a minute. Was I me too? Was that a me too? Was that relationship a power dynamic? Was he manipulating me? So what I did was I, I channeled my youth as best I could. I, I examined the story, I examined the plot, and I came up with a more nuanced um, dynamic where my character was very consensual and complicit in the inappropriate relationship. And that's what I felt like I was trying to do is is really look at my part in what I was doing with this man. Yeah, he was twice my age for sure. But I also knew what I was doing. Yeah, and in the book, I, okay, so I I look at Alice's interesting character. I I almost feel like she had the most agency in that interaction. In in that she was sort of a lot more self-aware than he was. And and, and, and in some sense like part of the uh boundary things are like gosh, she's almost mothering him. She was yeah. 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 And I, that was very much how it was for me with the man that I was friends with. It was almost maternal. I'm kind of like that in general. And I brought that to the character, but I definitely wanted to explore her complicity. You know what I mean? As opposed yeah. to, you know, the stories we've been hearing in the last few years about women with powerful men, it's, it's about very victim based stories. And most of them are, they do feel that way. I didn't feel that way about my experience. And I didn't make that into my novel. I didn't write that into the novel. I, I wrote a novel about a woman who, a girl who was very clumsy and how she went about life, but she could have handled things a lot differently. And she was very aware of how she was using her sexuality. Yeah. That, that yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the things I actually found kind of compelling about Alice's character is her, her self-awareness around sexuality. Like, it, it, it there's a kind of thing where like uh even in the messiness of the relationship she's she's i think oftentimes uh like this is uh, i'm thinking of this memoir i saying claire detter it's almost like um some of the stuff the messiness of her own sexual experiences in her youth like she wasn't a, as aware of the messiness until later and what's interesting about alice is it's not like she's she she, she it, going through it she's really self-aware about a lot of blurry things and messy things and the way uh sexuality relationships you know there can be mutual using of each other and things like that i mean she's she's not naive which is which makes her such an interesting character yeah she's not naive she's very she's also very um uh neurotic so she thinks about things a lot as opposed to just doing them she's constantly examining her behavior but what she's not doing is she's not seeing what's best for her life she's not behaving in a way that's productive she's not being productive she's She's self-destructive in a way. I mean, yeah, she's aware of what she's doing, but it's not really that great what she's doing. Yeah, and she, it's interesting because she's like, she is a Yale grad, and yet yeah. she's sort of like, she's kind of like, 
she's not really, I mean, living her best life now, right? I mean, not, she's kind of, she's kind not of living her best life. She's doing the bohemian thing and yeah. sort of looking and, and it's interesting because she breaks up with her boyfriend and is looking to kind of like find herself. And yet it's interesting because she wants him and she does it. And, mm-hmm. and it, it like her whole like she's a she's like this uh, when you think of like the Hamlet sort of torn, you know, like to be like she's got that sort of tornness. Right. Like and, and, very and, and trouble. But, she's very um, she's very uh haunted by what it's not clear she's existentially in crisis all the time and yet comes off like as a, i imagine meeting her and finding her to be a very attractive person amidst this like i don't i don't imagine meeting her and not liking her you know what i mean like there's a likability about her mm-hmm. like there's a charm amidst the kind of uh waywardness i mean it's a very kind of i mean she a lot of people couldn't wear that as charmingly as she does in the, in the novel I like that. I like that observation a lot. I felt sort of sorry for Alice, you know, because she has so much going for her. She's so lost. A lot of young women are like that. I was very much that way when I was younger. And, um, you know, she meets this man who has all kinds of power and she's so successful in charming and engaging him. But to what end? What use? To what? To what? For what purpose? Yeah, they're yeah, their interactions are the are the strangest in some way. Like, like the other, you know, like the interactions with like the alcoholic playboy, you yeah. know, or the lonely yeah. banker, or uh-huh. the TV host, dwarf. All these other interactions with men are so like they're they're like almost more interesting in some ways because like this is so weird. Like they they're conversations about philosophy, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like wow, like his insights about philosophy are boring. Like he he his his I mean hers are sharp. And his are like he says he has this interest in philosophy, but he doesn't even have a kind of novices, you know, like when he doesn't know about Plato's cave analogy, like that's the one thing. If you had some interest in, at an undergrad level, like you'd kind of know it's, it's so huge in so many films and, th- and and the fact that he doesn't get the cave analogy. I'm like, wow, is she like what would it be like to try to tutor someone in philosophy that like said they had an interest and didn't know the cave? <laughs> He had an interest in her. Yeah, yeah. He's interested in her. Yeah, it's such an interesting kind of thing to just want. I mean, why not be more forthright? Like, I got. I don't know. I guess he's sort of indirect in in some ways yeah. about the interest. Yeah, it's all very oblique. I think he the the man that I tutored was interested in philosophy, but it went away very quickly. The conversation devolved into gossip most of the time. What what did you tutor him in this director who shall remain nameless for in philosophy. a minute? I mean what I mean was he like let me read Plato, I want to read Descartes. I mean specifically like were there He stuff- honestly couldn't articulate what he was interested in. He just said for me to choose an area and I knew a lot about phenomenology. So I spent Oh nice. Yeah, at the time, I would have. That's to like such dense stuff, though. It's so dense. Were you like like Heidegger or Husserl, like that? Heidegger, like, Husserl, Kant, Derrida. Um, that is so all. hard. I feel like that's really it is heavy waters to jump in. Absolutely, very deep, very complex, and the ability for him to concentrate was very limited. He was directing his movie. He's busy making a movie. It was during the shooting of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would guess too. I would guess like an attractive young woman, like yeah. shooting a movie. In I, a mini I just skirt. the first thing in a mini skirt. Did you wear mini skirts to tutor? Until the wife came one day, and then I wore pants. <laughs> oh wow! So oh, I didn't. So wow, she yeah. came for one of the sessions. Uh huh. Did he exactly. think there was going to get some freaky going on or something or what? Like, no, or he was I, I, I knew that she was very suspicious. Oh wow! And everybody on the set when I was the tutor of my director, as opposed to Alice. Well, similarly. Everybody just assumed I was his girlfriend. They just assumed it, 100% assumption. And I wasn't. And in fact, I really was friends with the person. It was not an ugly interaction, which is sort of 
why I decided to examine it in the framework of the Me Too movement, because he was trying to come on to me just like he is in Alice in the book. And she was using her sexuality to keep him engaged. But the interaction at the end wasn't really toxic other than that. Nothing happened. Right. That's that's the thing that's so interesting. That it, like, But what's funny about this is it's like it's anticlimactically climactic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, because I, I want to say it's anticlimactic, but it's not. It makes for a great climax that nothing happened. I mean, it, there, there's something like I don't mean to ruin the book for everybody. No, it's a uh, spoiler alert. Oops. But, yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler but, alert. But I mean, this But it, it, it just, it, it's an interesting kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I really needed to. I, I feel like every young woman has been, every woman, not young woman, every woman is, is, it's a reckoning, right? This me too, time's up. And I've been told by so many people that that's what this man did to me. And I just wanted to examine it. And, and, and was I in denial? Did I not see something? Was it a Harvey Weinstein thing? Was it manipulation? What was it? And there were no I, plants involved, right? Like No plants. <laughs> no hallways. No dark corridors. I always fascinated to me that guys would think any woman would be like, into some of these things. Like, I, I just, I'm just like, wow, it would never occur to me that this would be. What, what they know, what they do know, men with power, what they do know, oh, my dog, what they do know is that the young woman wants something. Yeah. Okay. It's not his sex with him. It's not his penis. It's not his hotness. The guy, the guy I was hanging around was twice my age. It was, it was what they could offer you. I mean, he, he was offering me movie roles and and power and success and fame and that's what they can offer that's what harvey weinstein was offering women that's why they went to the hotel rooms naively so what i was trying to do was examine this interaction and say you know what was going on here and in the end i concluded with my own life and i i did the same thing with alice is that i was in charge of where of where i was going to go with it and so was alice and really what i should have done is just kind of like what you know, in the book, just get a job. And I'm not talking about the women that have been victimized because there's plenty of women that have. Right. Right. But I, I think like, what, I, I think like what you point out is mm -hmm. I, I think it's interesting because so much of the, of the puritanical spirit in mm -hmm. our country yeah. has moved from the right to the left. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's the cancel culture. And, and so with that, then there's no room for ambiguity, right? There's no room for like messy power dynamics no, where it's I not guess. a me too thing. It's not a, but it's clearly like there's some impropriety probably in everybody involved and people are used and there's some, you know, boundaries crossed, but, but, but like, it seems like we don't have uh, a scalpel morally. We just have a broadsword, you know, like, you know, you're right. It's like, we're, we're cutting a pair of scissors with, with an ax. I mean, we're cutting a piece of paper with an ax. My relationship with this man was extremely ambiguous and I had a lot, I brought a lot to the table. I was very complicit in this muddy, murky interaction. And I was dancing in the dance. I wasn't, being led, I could have walked away. I could have shown up without any makeup on, or you know, pair of pants or suit, or you know, I could have not used my sexuality to manipulate the man that I was hanging around. Um, so yeah, there, there is no more room for that now. You're right, culturally, this is a, a very, very this is this is throwback era now at this point. This is vintage. You know, it's funny. I think the Obamas met at, at an organization when I think she was his supervisor at, at the law firm. She was yeah. his boss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, that just wouldn't be possible. I mean, today, like that, that kind of stuff. No, and and today, what would happen with a situation like mine is the man might be advised that I could sue the production for sexual harassment, and that that can't go on. Too much fear now with relationships like this. There was some vague relationship 
where I was showing up on set with a miniskirt and a briefcase to tutor the director in philosophy. It was very bizarre, very odd. And yeah, people probably thought it was some kind of kinky thing. Like, oh, she's the she's the quote unquote philosophy tutor. Like, what's in the briefcase? Yeah. They absolutely did. And everybody assumed that I was the girlfriend and I was sort of slut shamed by a lot of people around. You know, it's interesting. Like when I was doing PhD work, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I was in a theology department and in, in Princeton and mm. the female colleagues used to say like to one of these professors, like, here's the thing you don't understand that like you'll go with for beers with some of the guys after a seminar, but, and you won't do it with us. And some of it is, you, you know, you want to be appropriate, but you don't realize then they get the mentor and the, and the, the colleague and everything. And we don't. And he was very intense. He, he did start doing stuff like that with the, but very intentionally he, he tried, but he realized like, gosh, with some of these, you know, like you do want to have boundaries. And yet also the Billy Graham rule or whatever, where you're never alone with a, it's, it can really often that hampers women in, all sorts of fields, right? Because guys have the leg up because we want to have all the walls up, right? So that, that always especially advantages now. the male uh, junior kind of college. Yeah, especially now because men are so scared. You know, I have two sons. Men are so afraid now. Before interactions like this were going on, pretty free for all. But you're right. It is It is hard for women to, I think in some ways harder now for women because what you just said, there's so much fear around these interactions. And And that's in no way to to say that the the Me Too movement is not a a good thing for society or or, because I think, of course, like there, you know, there's. It needed to happen. Yes, absolutely. There's a legacy of oppression and manipulation. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and but, but yeah, but sometimes when we deal with things, you know, there's pendulum swings, right? right. And and, right. and it's hard to find the equilibrium. It's like the overcorrection, and then you have to ease back to you know the balance situation. But the the, the dynamics are always going to be fraught because there's sexuality involved. No matter what you do, a man and a woman, you know, no matter how correct everybody wants to behave, stuff's going to happen. Yeah, you know. And then yeah. the question is, was this young woman a victim or not? And yeah, the Harvey Weinstein stuff that seemed very clear cut. Those are victims. But what I was examining was a different type of interaction. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ken Skillman, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sally Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Jennifer Spate, Ben DeHart, Joel Wentz, Jordan DeMice, Samantha Conower, Simone Garabedian, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jody Stevenson, Andrew Stravitz, Glenn Stalker, 
Greg Johnson, and Kai Wintenegg. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Do you worry about like, okay, writing a book like this? Mm-hmm. Do you, and you write, well, it's a great book and you uh, you write sex well. Like, do you, do you like worry about getting sexualized as an author? Like in a way that like, they're probably not going to do that to a male author that writes, you know what I mean? Like, but we're a female author who writes comfortably about sexuality yeah, yeah. i mean I, I, you, do you worry about like almost like a sort of subtle slut shaming because oh she writes oh, the, the, yeah. these sexy scenes and it's right you know oh yeah not only that but not just as an author as a person you know my mother i have two teenage boys and i have a lot of mommy friends and family friends yeah i has it have people i mean what like how have people how how have the reactions been among yeah, like the mom friends, friends and things like that yeah it's uncomfortable you know there's oh your kids are gonna look at that what are, oh my god what are they gonna say <laughs> luckily my kids don't read luckily <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's 2019 there's no, no danger of that happening yeah they're not reading so i'm 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 lucky in that regard but um yeah it's um it's crazy uh i i think i was more afraid of it i was more afraid of it as a person than as an author because of the interactions with family and children and parents. Of, sorry about the dog. I would, um, because of For our what listeners, going it's a on. very cute dog. Oh, he's, he's knows he's working me over right now. Cause he knows I need him to be quiet. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's more almost like I'm more worried about it vis-a-vis my, um, my, uh, my life rather than my artistic. Yeah, is that, is that because like, as an artist, like you're, you're there to like, it's a little, I mean, you can't separate, completely ever an artist from the art but like it, it is a little more like a step removed from the rest of your life like if you're talking on a podcast like this because somebody's like it, it's not but but this is these are people you're seeing in yeah integrated roles in your yeah, lot, like in your life games. Yeah, yeah yeah and honestly that did affect my um do my, guys I, hit I, on you because of this like are there, are there what's that no no okay because I, I was wondering <laughs> that i wonder that like oh my I gosh love she's that. Running, she's, what's that <laughs> you were like that'd be awesome yeah. That would be fantastic. Oh man, I would love that. I gotta, I gotta do myself up more like I used to, like the character in the book does. I've become very mommy, very schlumpy, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> I have gone in a totally different direction in my old life. Yeah, okay. I've been married for twenty years. Is like as when you were young mm-hmm. at Yale and yeah. philosophy. I mean, yeah. were you wearing like were you were you dressing attractive to philosophy no. summers and stuff? Okay. No, at Yale I dressed like. I wore the, the thrift shop clothes and dressed like a schlump, like everybody else at Yale in the, in the late 80s. But when I went to Italy, suddenly it was like, I don't know, I bought the little stockings with the garter belts and the mini skirts, and I dressed like the women I would see. And I got a lot of attention from men. And I discovered, wow, this is awesome. I got the guy. <laughs> I got a lot of attention, just like Alice, you know? I was using my sexuality when I, I really shouldn't have been. It was a waste. Do you, do you feel like that was also like it's like like a teenager with a Ferrari or a teenager with a sports car? Like if they just like if you had discovered something, oh my gosh, this thing goes yeah. 150 miles an hour on a freeway. My friend, my friend, who's also a writer, she said it's your superpower, the sexual superpower of a young woman. And she said because I discovered it late, because me, merely me, not my friend, I was in high school as a super nerd in high school, super nerd. I did no boyfriends, nothing. I was a little delayed. You know, I was a sort of a nerdy scholarly type. You know, I went to Yale on a scholarship. I was very studious. But when I was in my twenties, I was like, Oh, I got my Ferrari, the superpower, just like you're saying. And that's exactly what it was. I was very distracted from it. And, um, 
I, I really think that's what I was trying to get across in the book. If it was like an advice book for 20 something girls, I would say, you know what? Superpower, it's all good and well, but focus, try to focus, get your mind out of it. It's not a long-term proposition. It's not going to keep you the rest of your life. You're not going to be able to use it in your 50s. Yeah, and you make this great point because Alice, again, she's incredibly likable. Like, I, she's the kind of person I, I, I'd meet her at a cocktail party. I'd want to talk with her. And hang out. But but you're right. She's treading water yeah. in life. I mean, yeah. she's got this Ivy League degree yeah. and she's yeah. sort of like bouncing yeah. from thing to thing. Like, yeah. she's more, although, again, this is consensual. She has agency. Yeah, she's more object than subject. Like that's all, that's exactly right. You like make, stuff happens to her. She doesn't happen to it. You know what? You're exactly right. Very, very good read. Very good observation. And that's like kind of like where the advice part comes in. You know, just take charge of your life when you're young because you will be objectified by men. And, and you know, she was looking for something and instead she was being used. What, what's right. interesting about the way you're talking about this that I find interesting and compelling is that, uh-huh. you're, is that you're able to kind of uh, talk and tell a cautionary tale without slut shaming or without uh, sort of being puritanical or without sanitizing everything that like yeah. these things, but you're just, I mean, there's a realism that to the way you, you tell the cautionary tale that avoids kind of, I think like a reckless libertinism or the sort of new puritanism of, of certain parts of our culture that you're kind of, you've got room for ambiguity, which, Thank you. which I, it's just lacking in, in, in lots of public space in our culture. Yeah. And especially now because of, of, because of this new purity, this new, there's no, there's no room for any of it now. I mean, if, if this girl were to be working now, she, none of this would have been going on. None of it, none of it. But um, another, another thing that's interesting about what you're saying about Alice being likable is a lot of my early drafts were rejected because they said she was an unlikable character, unlikable because she was some, you know, cruel to her boyfriend and she was a slut and I had a lot of women reader, like a, a one big agent in particular said she was unlikable. That's interesting. I did not. That's interesting. I did not find her. I rewrote unlike- her. I rewrote her. So what changed? Bit. Okay. So you, okay. Yeah. So what would I have liked the pre-rewrite? You, think? you might have, because I think you aren't requiring her to be a certain way to like her. Um, but I definitely made She's her- interesting. What's what makes yeah. her likable. I mean, she's yeah. got a kind of charm about her, like her, you know, she- she might be a little reckless in a little way, but like the way she wears it as a cat, she's a reader. Like, you know, some people don't wear that well. She does. I like that. I, I think that she may have read a draft where the character wasn't as thoughtful, didn't think as much. I don't even remember. It could just be that she wanted her not to be a slutty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that doesn't bother you, which is good. Well, I always think, you know, it's interesting because we're, we're like, uh, I had, I had these guys funny. on the podcast before, um, <laughs> They're they both are into Hegel. They're uh, they're like film. They're they 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 do podcasts called Why Theory. Okay. And they were talking about like the border issues in Trump, and they said mm-hmm. you know Emmanuel Kant would say, well, okay, because you, you have like you have people like you know on one level the 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 undocumented worker is shiftless and lazy and corrupt, and another uh, the other hand he's Speedy Gonzalez and he's going to take away all your jobs, and so the Kantian approach, right? All right, well this is it can't logically be true. There's a contradiction here. He said the Hegel approach would be, no, that's true. Both the uh, undocumented uh, workers, undocumented people are both industrious and lazy, just like every other people. All of us are both at times industrious and lazy. And so they said, you know, the moment we don't allow for contradictions and they talk about feminism, this is what feminism shows. Like if it's the Madonna whore complex, you've either got to be the maternal Madonna or the whore. The, the, 
when we stop allowing tensions and contradictions, that that person's not a real person anymore, right? Like, like that. They're, 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 they're sort of an objectified class because because when we allow for ambiguity, because everybody's ambiguous, every people group's ambiguous, you know, we Absolutely. all have all these things. And so that when we don't allow that, we're, we're, we're dehumanizing people. I like that a lot. That's where a lot, that's where a lot of where he, her humanity comes in, isn't it? Yeah. And it's that's compelling. Economy. I mean, yeah, there's a lot that she's working right. it out. And, and I think there's something attractive about as a person that's compelling to me when people like are working that. things out, you know, it's just a compelling. Well, yeah. A lot of people said to me, well, I mean, she's so slutty and cares about sex, but she went to Yale and she majored in philosophy. I'm like, yeah. And what? You can't have sexuality if you were an intellectual. Yeah. Ben Franklin was intellectual. He died of syphilis. I'm interested too, like Yale in the 80s and his philosophy. I mean, I, were there how many females were there in the major? Because it's a pretty male field. It wasn't that many people. There weren't that many people in the major altogether. It wasn't so much that it was male dominated. There just weren't that many majors. It wasn't that co- a popular major. People were majoring in history, economics, psychology, and then the sciences for like the pre-med kids. That's pretty much it. Philosophy was not a popular major. It's too difficult. And it's not, yeah, it's difficult. That had a lot to do with it. English what, was a big major. What, what, who was like the biggest philosopher at Yale then? Derrida. Oh, Derrida was at Yale then. Oh, wow. I didn't so Irvine. That. I think it was Irvine that stole him away with a big salary. Oh, wow. But yeah, Yale, Yale had the famous Jacques Derrida doing his lectures in French. Um, and he, you know, he was just very powerful. Um, yeah. What an exciting time to be there. Yeah, I mean, it, when you told your parents you were going to major in philosophy, what did they say? I just, that was the least of their problems with me. I mean, I took a year off at Yale and dropped out and called my mom from Paris. Mom, okay, don't get mad, but I'm not at Yale. I'm in Paris. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> so where I made what I majored in, that was the least of her concern. You are a pretty free spirit. Yeah, yeah, I was. It's hard now. I have kids. I still feel exactly the same way as I did when I was young. Very much like Alice, you know, restless. So I've had to channel that in a different direction, like more into my work. Can't like take off, you know? Yeah. And you still, I mean, you said, it's interesting because in your bio on the book, you say that your favorite job in the film, film business will always be your first uh, as this philosophy tutor. But you, you have yeah, worked, um, you do, are you still in the entertainment business, right? You work on movie and TV scripts. I work on scripts. Yeah. I've really spent a lot of my time in the last 15 years raising my kids though that had a lot i've really spent a lot of time doing that someone asked me why did you take so long to write a book about your 20s i'm like raising kids yeah yeah i think i mean was it what did it take a lot of emotional energy too like in addition to time i mean yeah and i think i also had to wait for my parents to pass away which they both did i i i um they both died fairly young and i think i would have been embarrassed to show them this book yeah i could see that i mean i could i could see if your parents like Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, that. Yeah, that's interesting. No, it's a little hard to have your mother see what you were up to when you were young. Would you want to see this made into a film? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it'd make a great film. Oh, thank you. I mean, I I absolutely agree, and I think who would play Alice? Oh, Aka Young. The other day, <laughs> I was joking. I said the girl from Stranger Things, the little British girl. Oh, was, Billy, Billy, Billy. Yeah, her Bobby name is Brown. A, yeah, her. She's so cute. I don't know who. Somebody young and spirited with edgy energy who can play somebody who can who's complicated. Like you said, that that complexity. You know, she's not just some airhead. She's 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 tortured too. She's a little tortured. But she's- yeah, I, again, that's part of her charm. Like I think there's something about her pre- her her awareness of her pain, even if she doesn't have all the emotional tools 
to work through it constructively all the time. Like, but right. she doesn't s- completely suppress it. Like it, it's, right. it's, it's always floating close to the surface. And that's kind of, it makes her so interesting. Oh, I like that. That's what I was trying to do is I wanted to get into her head. So I thought people would maybe want to know what is this young woman thinking? Yeah. Especially, you know, in this me too culture we're living in, what does one young woman think when she's in a room with the older guy who's, Praying on her. Is he praying on her? Is she praying on him? What is what's going on here? And in this particular story, I I would went back to my interaction with the older man that, that you know that I'm telling you about. Just say who is what's the name? Francis. Ford Coppola? Uh-huh. Oh wow. He he is uh he makes wine too, right? Yeah. He's wonderful. He's a brilliant guy. He just Do you still know him? Do you, are you still like no. in contact? No, okay. Mm-mm. But he would know you if he saw you somewhere. I have no idea. He left an impression on me. I don't know if I left one on him. How am I, you know, how would I know, right? What film was he making when you were tutoring? Godfather 3. Wow. You know what? That movie Told got you it was famous. You know, I I like that film. I mean, I, I, obviously people, it, you know, compared people to the other two. You know, I, now I, when you go back and reread the book, you'll be able to see all this. Yeah, because I, I thought that film was not as terrible as people thought. Like, a lot of people I, say that. Like, like, I don't think it's as good as the first two, but how that's a that's be? a high standard to hold yes, any film to. Like Exactly. How could anything be as good as that? Because the 70s, I mean, th- that sort of film, noir, I mean, that era of like early 70s, like that late early 70s, like, uh, 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 what's the f- uh, cowboy? Oh, shoot. Uh, I can't think of the other film I'm thinking of. But like, there's all these like dark, gritty, really Midnight interesting films. I mean, that cowboy, right? Driver. Yeah, yeah. Like, these are, I mean, that that's, it's hard to compete with that era because that's like a golden age of film. I mean, you can't. None of us can compete with that. We might have that a little bit in TV right now, a golden age of television. But the golden age of movies, when Francis was making Rainmaker and The Conversation, Apocalypse, Godfather 1 and 2, Godfather 3 can't compete with that. No, it's, it's a different than, era. It's a different yeah. era. Yeah, it's, it's better different. than most movies that are made. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just not as good as two of the greatest movies ever. Of all time, yeah. Yeah, but um, the clue that I was going to tell you about was Sophia's movie, um, Lost in Translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Charlotte's character went to Yale and was a philosophy major. Ah, wow. You're like kind of there. Wow. Could be a coincidence. Could be a biopic. (laughs) A lot of people thought so. Older man, younger woman. Yeah. It is interesting what you say about TV. Yeah. I I feel like TV now is eclipsing film in in that like you really, the character development now that a, a good serial drama gets used to set such a high bar for film. And then also because our televisions and stuff are so nice, the, the viewing experience, it's almost like like my wife and I, if we go to a film, we want to go to one of those ones where every hand has an individual seat and it reclines or anything. Because like, you know what I mean? And we'll spend the extra money because if we're going to go to a film, we just want a, a real, like we don't want to sit in those little seats anymore. You know, right. it, it's just interesting that the water cooler conversations at work are now almost always about television, not about film. Absolutely. It's it's where the room is to create. There's a lot of content. They need a lot of content. And what you said is true. When you have 10 episodes a season to develop a character, you can really dig deep. I mean, think about something like Breaking Bad. How do you get that into a movie? Yeah, or The Sopranos or Game of Thrones or yeah. all these shows. Like They're just uh, yeah. so intense. Mm-hmm. That's our golden age now, creatively. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Now. Maybe this could be made into like a seven episode, like limited series. That would yeah. be. Yeah. And, you know, we have those flawed girls now that are so popular. Fleabag being the yeah. example. And Alice is a little bit like Fleabag. I haven't watched Fleabag yet, but I heard it's awesome. It's great. It's flawed, complicated, difficult girl, you know? So if, if you were going to like advise somebody to get into the entertainment business, say, or first, would you say do it? Like now that, you know, you've. Only, only do it if you absolutely love 
the craft and the art. Otherwise, go do something more directionally meaningful, like psychologists. Like we're we're short on psychologists. We don't have enough. We don't and have if enough they, people. If they wanted to do it, what would you say to them? How did how do they break in? Just you just get a job. So get like a day job mm-hmm. and try get to break in that way. Mm-hmm. Get a day job. Don't don't think that you're going to be the next Coppola. Just get a job and work your way in and be pragmatic about it. That's the best way to do anything, no matter what you're looking to do. It, just get a job. Go work for somebody. Learn the learn the craft. You know, even if you want to be a writer, go work as an assistant to somebody for a while. That's will, will, really the best way. Will we see Alice again as a character? Like, do you think you'll write her again? Like, because she's young if, at the end she, of the book. She could have another. There's another story, right? The one afterwards when she right. Said, Maybe if 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 it were to be sold to television, you would want to see Alice continue, right? I would. I would because she's interesting. Maybe. And if, I'd like to I see her evolve. Because I, I think what the interesting thing about people, right, is is as we evolve, there's always continuity and discontinuity. Like we're the same and yet we're different. There's always, you know, and so that's I, I would love to see the continuity and discontinuity. What what stays the same? What evolves? What you know, like what change that I mean, because that's I mean, she is sort of like it's interesting too, you know, like I think about why stories like this are compelling. Like when George uh Bush died, somebody said, I think John Meacham, uh the political the presidential story and said, you know, George and Barbara Bush were the last generation that were born adults. Like they were adults at 18, right? Like, you know, he goes off to war. They get married young. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, he didn't have to find himself, you know, to be, he was the last president that didn't have a find himself story. Clinton had a find himself story. George W. Bush had a find himself story. Obama had a find himself story. Trump had a, certainly had a find himself story. So it's interesting because I think because like boomer post boomer, like, there's so much more of a sort of we're so much more of a journey self-awareness of the journey i think characters like this are are stories like this are popular because it's so much of how we think of life now it's very interesting it's the extended adolescence because yeah like you said we don't have that immediate adulthood we're not sending kids off to war i mean what if alice had to go do inscription you know like if she were israeli or italian at the time yeah 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 in the army for two years, maybe she would have just been sort of shocked into being more pragmatic. But yeah, I think that's really interesting and true. And everybody is everybody is examining themselves. Even I'm sure even HW at some well, maybe not him, maybe not that generation. They didn't have time for existential crises, you know. Yeah. Certainly now. The other thing you wonder about though now is the kids are always plugged in. Yeah. Their devices. You wonder if they are ever going to have room for this type of existential examination is they're so bombarded i mean what if alice were at 2019 in rome she might have been like doing a yeah, on her for instagram yeah instagram like my best life now look look at my yeah look at my food look at you know yeah you wonder well, you know i'm glad she wasn't because it's a great book and thanks for writing it and thanks for thank spending you. some time thank talking you to me about it it's great talking to you yeah the pleasure was all mine take care thanks for listening to give and take if you like what you heard Please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give a, give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks to Marilee for coming on the podcast. Do check out her novel, The Tutor. You won't regret it, I promise you. 
And thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.